This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Zero is a not-for-profit research and education organisation. We design blueprints for a zero emissions economy. As climate change becomes more apparent, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate changing emissions to a zero emissions 21st century Check out our website for reports on zero emissions energy, zero emissions buildings and zero emissions high-speed rail. Podcasts of our talks with a who's who of climate change action are all available at Beyond Zero Emissions. If you have some ideas for this show, contact us at radioteam at beyondzeroemissions.org. Tonight's Beyond Zero Emissions Community Show takes us again to Malaysia. I went there on a holiday and because I have a very limited carbon footprint, I don't want to travel by plane more than once every three years. This was my chance to go to Malaysia and so I thought I would interview people to solve my conscience. Now, the first person we're going to speak to is in the Cameron Highlands. It's an area quite cool and we had mostly rainy days while we were up there. It's not... Uh, tropical so much as it is on the coast and we we met Mr. Um, uh, Suresh Kumar who's a forest activist really, he knows everything about the rainforest and the local people called Orang Asli. Someone said to me oh Suresh is really the only one who's standing up for Cameron Highlands and then after that we're going to Malacca which is a beautiful place, it's a UNESCO city and it's protected because it's they They've regarded their heritage there. This has been a cross-path hub of trade for hundreds of years, five or six hundred years, and between the Middle East and uh, India and Asia, and between China and Southeast Asia, India and the Middle East. It was a a triangle of trade, all centering on the Straits of Malacca and the city of Malacca. I was lucky enough to meet some people in the Green Tech Council there, and also also in the state government. Mr Idris, who's the Premier of the state, spoke to me and I was invited to an energy efficiency launch where I was surprised to see very tall Danish people there advising the Malacca government on how to do energy efficiency. Indeed, they had got, um, I think, three or four government buildings really reducing their energy use, including one of the 
biggest hospitals there, which meant savings that they could put to medicine, and they were incredibly pleased with what they were doing. And the next move was going to be more government buildings, and they were working on having electric buses from China, and uh, they'd cleaned up their river. They were very proud of what they were doing, a lot of green things that are on the first level of action. But as the Premier explained to me, they have a plan, you know, part two of their plan and part three of their plan, which will be a 100% uh, reduction in carbon emissions, 100% renewable energy. They've also got a solar farm there and they produce uh, solar panels for export. So that's Malacca. Um, and then the third speaker will be in Kuala Lumpur. He is also an activist and I tried to get, you know, finish with him because he was a very eloquent speaker and he was very aware of the political situation, the constraints on action in a developing country. You know, they, they are developing, they've already achieved quite a lot, but they could go into overshoot. They could go into overdevelopment and they could go the path that we've gone down where happiness level or the, um, Betterment of life isn't really happening, but money is being siphoned off into pockets that where it shouldn't be. So those three speakers, I think, will give you a, an inside picture, and they'll certainly be the kind of people who would not be interviewed on the mainstream media. So I, I hope you enjoy it. If you have any problem with accents, just think of this. Each of those people speaks two or three other languages. One of the people I spoke to, he was uh, speaking Chinese. Someone else came to speak to him. He, he spoke to them in Malay. And then he was able to speak to someone else in Tamil. So he had those three languages because then he turned around and spoke to me in English. So please excuse the accents if they're a little bit hard to listen to. Just bear with me because I just found it fascinating what these people are doing and it's not all rosy of course I'm only painting a superficial picture because I was only there for a month but really I hope it gives you some insight into our near neighbour Malaysia Tonight we're in the Cameron Highlands of Malaysia we've been to see a tea plantation which stretched for miles over the hills and up to Mount Brinjung through the cloud forest it's quite cool up here as opposed to Malacca where, and Kuala Lumpur where we were sweltering. Our guide showed us all sorts of medicinal plants and the richness of the forest gave me many questions to ask our guest tonight who is at Tanarata. The Malaysian environment is his specialty and his name is Mr Suresh Kumar. So welcome to the Beyond Zero Emissions radio show, Suresh. Can we start with just an overview of the environment here and what's happening to it? Um, okay, in my opinion, um, in Malaysia, um, it's, it's a developing country. So so uh, the government, the current uh, ruling government, thinks environment um, is, is a way of of uh, is a business is a way of making money and and uh, and regards to the the environmental protection the, the forest protection is is not in there yet and the movement the people's movement for environment is also quite weak in malaysia um, and and that con also contributes to the environmental degra degradation and also deforestation happening in Malaysia. Yes, well, deforestation is going to be the focus because I think in climate action we have to keep the forests yes. intact. So um, I'd like to tell the listeners about the original people. They're called 
Orang Asli and they are the custodians of the jungle which is very vast in Malaysia and I know Suresh that you have worked to help them. I heard that some of them were nearly at starvation point in um, 2014 when there were massive floods around Guamasang and the railway from Singapore to Thailand was knocked out and those people were sort of abandoned I think and I'd like to know how protecting them might be a sort of climate action because protecting them they might protect the jungle. Um, I agree with you. Uh, I believe in empowering them uh, is a way of protecting the jungle. Uh, they are the custodian of the of the, of the jungle. Um, for an example, uh, two places we are we are working with. Uh, one place is called Lodging. It is in the state of Kelantan, where there's a massive uh, land grabbing by companies for commercial uh, vegetable farm, for for oil palm estates, for rubber estates, for mining. And, um, and and on the other side we have uh, uh, Sungai in Kuala Lipis then the state of Pahang where there's a there's a dam project coming up the third biggest dam uh, hydroelectric dam in, in Peninsula Malaysia which will will grab um, about will will submerge about 14 uh, villages of Orangasli so we believe we need to empower them and we need to stop this and and by by stopping this by preserving more forest i believe it's a way of of to to to, to slow down the climate change happening uh, uh, around the world yeah yes all right well um william cameron gave his name to these highlands and you were telling me that um the tea plantations that came and the lovely vegetable growing that you can do grow anything up here i think um, they didn't cut down so much forest, though, in the first hundred years since they discovered this cool area. What's happened since then? What's the time scale we're talking about? In the first about 100 or 112 years, I think uh, the, the amount of forest being cleared for agriculture was only 1,000. And the following that 17 years, we have about 10,000 hectares being cleared for agriculture. And and there is no enforcement, there no control by the by the local government, by the state government on this. This is the the massive uh, deforestation, the, the situation happening in Malaysia. Yes, we saw that because we travelled from Guamasang to here by car, and it was just massive. The hills were just denuded; they were terraced, and there were oil plants, oil plantations planted all around on the terraces, but nothing on the top. So I imagine you get landslides and flooding there quite easily as a result of that yes I do agree with you and and I think the flood in year 2014 um, is caused by the massive uh, deforestation uh, which happened on the on the starting point of rivers uh, such as the one you mentioned uh, the lodging in Guamusang where all almost most of the rivers starts from there towards the sea uh, towards the Kotabaru in the Kelantan state so when the forest was cleared in, in this area and and we had a, a heavy rain for the for for a few days and that causes the massive flood which throughout the, the the passage of the river to the sea and and that's why the the Klantan, the whole Klantan state was under the water uh, in 2014 because of this 
this massive deforestation happening on the starting point of the on the hills on the on the mountains of mm-hmm. of the where the, the river starts yeah okay i'd love to come back a bit more to the orangasli because i i don't i haven't met any people from them and i gather that they live in the forest i believe you've been arrested even defending them and defending these um, small farmers against the big agribusiness tell us a bit about um, protesting i mean how much chance do they have to protest is it very strict here or how um, okay for honestly there is uh, 18 tribes um, all over Malaysia that means they speak 18 different languages and um, we are working with with two of the tribes in in the state of Kelantan and in the state of Pahang and uh, when when they came to us um, seeking for help the the level of uh, deforestation the the level of environmental uh, degradation um, is already happened and, and and it's quite bad so when they came to us we went to visit their places and and we found that you know there's a massive uh, you know uh, mining companies uh, commercial commercial vegetable farms you know uh, oil palm and uh, rubber tree estates going on and and um, now what we are trying to do is that uh, we are trying to empower these them uh, the other orang sleep uh, at least to stop uh, new clearing of of the jungle and also to take back their rights on their on the ancestral land which is now have been turned to something else mm-hmm. and and um, this is the initial stage um, and that's why you, that there is a lot of uh, police arrest a lot of confrontations going on mm-hmm. because uh, I think the government is, is quite uh, surprised uh, for the past about five or ten years when they saw the the honestly raising rising up to to, to to defend their land so so I think uh, this is the initial uh, stage and and we should work with them tell them not to be afraid not be taken aback by police arrest or intimidation and and um, that's a way of doing it and and while doing it we do respect their 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 feelings their thoughts their their ideas of, yeah. of how to preserve the forest how to preserve their culture I want to know about your federal government your uh, environment department in Australia we've got nothing to be proud of you know our environment department doesn't seem to be able to stop coal mining on farming land they give approval for logging um, so we've got nothing to show but what's your environment department here do they say one thing and do another or what what happens uh, yeah, it's it's about the same of uh, what's happening in Australia. Um, it's it's uh, the department is. Uh, I mean, there there are so many campaigns going on, uh, which seems to be very nice. But but in reality, uh, nothing much is happening in in protecting the environment, protecting the forest. The department are merely there to to legalize um, any encroachment um, to the forest and and uh, to collect taxes from from the companies and uh, to regulate. The companies on on how to to make money from the forest and environment. It's 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 not nothing much uh, happening uh, on on uh, protecting the forest. And and uh, we have the Raphaelsia uh, flower, which is one of the biggest flower in 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 Cameron. And and uh, sadly, I think it's it's almost extinct now. Past few years because of the level of uh, the deforestation happening. And um, 
And and today um, I will late for this interview because um, I was involved um, in in coordinating some things regarding the the arrest of of some of Orasli defending their 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 jungle in in Goa Musang in the state of Kelantan, and and we we don't hear or we don't. Uh, see any action from the environment department to say that what what the Oranasli did was right and and deforestation in in forest reserve is wrong. Nothing, nothing, no statements. Nothing has happening, and and it's it's quite sad to see uh, an environmental uh, ministry is is being so quiet and uh, so passive on 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 the ongoing issues. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sure many Australians will be most interested in that because we have the same battle. This is the Beyond Zero Emissions radio show, and tonight we're in Malaysia. Asia. Our guest is Mr. Suresh Kumar, and as someone said to me, he's the only one who's standing up for the Cameron Highlands. He's an activist in forests and especially on behalf of the local people who are called Orang Asli. We've talked about the flash flooding uh, in Kelantan, and a lot of people would blame that on climate change, and indeed we are going to expect more rain, more sea level rise but we could also expect more drought as a result of climate disruption. I think Malaysia, as a developing country, will get United Nations help for climate work. And I'd like to know what your vision is, what you and progressive people like yourself, really, what's your dream for environmental protection as well as maybe the development, some development? I believe um, the, the environmental protection... Uh, the rights to determine the environmental protection and uh, the environmental usage should go to the people, which is not in practice now. It's it's very undemocratic who decides what to be built and and what's the project for. Like for example, in Camera Highlands itself, which which is very quite a sensitive um, environmental place, we see a lot of projects are coming up for the for a certain group of elites and not for the for the common people in Camera Highlands. And 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 um, a lot of uh, the, f- the the forest uh, degradation for for commercial farming is is not by the small farmers. It's by the by the uh, multinational. I mean, not, not it's, it's it's a national companies, big companies, mm. which is uh, clearing up a few hundred ac- acres of land for mm. commercial planting. So my view is that the power to decide should go back to the people. So like like for, for Cam Highlands, I believe we should have a council which is uh, made of people, which is represented by, the, by, by uh, representatives from every segment of the society, which decides what kind of development you should have, which land you can clear and, and why you need to clear the land. And same goes to the local council. We don't have local council elections in, in, in Malaysia. It was banned uh, from uh, 1960s. I think they should bring back the local council elections at least to, to, to stop the, the kind of degradation happening. We want to see the power to make decisions is democratically is dissolved from the top few elites back to the people. We want to see public transportation to be enhanced practically, systematically uh, to make sure people do benefit. Okay, we, you mentioned vehicles. We heard about that in Malacca. They've got electric buses and uh, public buses and you know they're moving towards renewable energy for their uh, tr- uh, transportation. So that's a good thing. Look, this is really interesting. I think Malaysia is a very interesting 
comparison for Australia. You know, you're a developing country. You've got 29 million people. We're, a, I would say, an overdeveloped country with about 24 million people. You've achieved a lot of development. I'm very impressed by all the, you know, really good roads. It's not dangerous to go on the roads here. Beautiful hospitals in every town, um, schools, and on the I looked up the United Nations Human Development Goals. Well, Malaysia is high up there with those reaching those goals. But you export petrol, we export coal. You have emissions per person of seven tons of carbon dioxide. That's the Malaysian average. Australia has eighteen tons, so we have a lot more emissions per person and you are I think on the path of going the way we're going so that's what I wonder uh, we de- I just don't think we've got anything to teach you but I want to know from you what do you see you know about decoupling growth maybe necessary growth but decoupling that from carbon emissions we heard about that from the Malacca uh, chief minister he said we want to decouple growth from carbon emissions but do you see how that might happen Okay. Yes. Yes. yes uh, I do agree with you uh, regarding the 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 kind of uh, development we are we are heading uh, forward. I believe in in decoupling the the, the carbon emission uh, and uh, now it goes per capita, right? Yes. Yeah. And and uh, I think according to to Malaysians and the Environmental Ministry, we we have achieved about. 32%, I mean, uh, we're supposed to be about 47, I think. And um, we, we are, we are almost, we are progressing really good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, but I doubt that the numbers because uh, I, I don't see the reduction in, in private ownership of vehicles and, and, and the, the kind of industries coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, what I believe is uh, to de- decouple uh, the, the, the carbon emission. I think um, uh, in this case, maybe ca- developed countries like, like Australia, uh, EUs and uh, America, they, 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 they should they should land their technologies uh, of, of clean energy. They should uh, they should provide some financial support to, to to countries like Malaysia to preserve their forest. This is how uh, we could balance up with with the current government and and and, and also maybe the, the incoming uh, government in future. They, it doesn't seem to have a very clear picture of of how to decouple the emission, the carbon emission per person or per capita, and and um, it will go on. It will go on. We we have so much of international understandings um, on on environmental, but we must make that to work. Uh, and and in for that to work, I think developed countries should. Invest shouldn't um, ask the developing countries to to, to stop uh, the emission, but but invest, land the technologies. No, no, don't don't make it as a, as a commercial thing that you can sell and make money. The the green technologies, and and that's how we should decouple the carbon emission from the people and per capita. I agree with you, and we saw a very good example of that with the Danish people in Malacca. They're helping. There's a big Danish organization helping. This is the Beyond Zero Emissions radio show and tonight we're in Malaysia. Our guest is Mr. Suresh Kumar and as someone said to me, he's the only one who's standing up for the Cameron Highlands. He's an activist in forests and especially on behalf of the local people who are called Orang 
Asley. The last question is about sea level rise. This is a peninsula, you know, it's quite narrow in a way, and it's got these million-year-old forests down the middle. I've heard many millions of years. It's very famous. It's wonderful ancient forest, more ancient than the Amazon listeners. Well, my question is about sea level rise. Along the coast, we saw quite a lot of development which is reclaimed from the sea. At Malacca, we saw all these buildings, tall apartment buildings, reclaimed from the sea. And then I heard at Johorburu, they're going to put about a half a million people on artificial islands. And Dr. Mahati has spoken up about that. He yeah. said he doesn't agree, mainly because it'll be all Chinese people. But everyone says, stop being, don't do the racist card. But it, what worries me with sea level rise, how can people living on artificial islands and reclaimed land hope to have a future? And do you know anything about that? What, what would you think? Do you think the Malaysian government is best hoping that climate change will go away? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I think the Malaysian, the current government is. is um, it doesn't seem that the climate change is happening. I mean, they never admission in, in any of their statements there is a climate change going on. For an example, um, Cameron had its flash flood twice and, and, um, and a lot of destruction. The first one in 2013 and 2014, the second one in 2014, and uh, the, the second one, it, it gained... The, the attention of the whole country for about a month, but then the the, the, the blame was all, always on the the amount of rain. It was never admitted. This is this is kind of rain that we will have in future. Yes, it's, I mean it's extraordinary rainfall, and that's why we have the flash flood. So I think with this kind of the government which refuses to admit the climate change and and therefore very less action is, is done to to, to, to to do campaign to, to spread the, the the news to the people and and therefore the bigger mass uh, bigger portion of the people still don't see the the, the kind of uh, sea level rising up and it, and this one happens even with the with the with the with the state of Penang which is now governed by the opposition and and we say the same kind of land uh, reclamation is happening and and that destroys the livelihood of the fishermen which and and also uh, uh, some of the the trees i can't remember the name of the trees that that's grows on the and yeah, uh, yeah on mangroves. the mangroves yeah sorry yes, mangroves, mangroves. Yeah, yeah yeah i mean all that is just being wiped out and and to 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 do the the sea reclamation and then some um, high class expensive living residentials yeah. uh, projects so so the the awareness of of climate change sea level rising up is not with the, with the current government and, and it also seems not with the with the, with the opposition yeah. uh, pact which is already rolling in some of the states so uh, i think i think once um, the, the, the awareness the for the moment uh, like for us the best thing we can do is we have the Orasli since they are the one who are much more aware of, of, of what's happening even though they, they don't see the the bigger picture of, of the things happening in the world but but they are aware without the forest there will be some some great damages done on for the earth yeah fantastic look you've given us so much of your time Suresh thank you so much do you have anything else you'd like to say especially to our Australian listeners I know you visited Australia would you just like to send a message to Australia yeah uh, okay I think uh, 
the Australians, uh, I, I don't blame you. It's, it's, it's the government. So, but I think you should uh, ask the government to 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 support, to, to put some pressures uh, pressure on on the government to support us in Malaysia by by lending us some of the green technologies uh, and, and also. Uh, but not trying to send companies like Linus to come here and open up. Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe. Yeah, I mean, we saw some, but maybe we some we saw some protest happening in in Australia when Linus opens up its refinery factories here. But I think uh, there should be more efforts uh, emphasized on on uh, more pressure to the government, the Australian government, by the Australians um, on 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 sharing the knowledge, landing the technology, and also stop. Uh, from the the mining companies from Australia mm-hmm. coming up to to Malaysia to do the the dirty business. Yes. Yeah, that's that's how uh, I think the solidarity mm-hmm. from the from the Australians uh, could could help us in Malaysia. Okay, thank you. So that was Mr. Suresh Kumar from the Socialist Party in Malaysia talking to us at Tanarata. You're listening to 3CR Radio. Now we're in Malacca. I was invited to an energy efficiency congress because I contacted the people in the Malacca Green Tech uh, Company. The Chief Minister of Malacca is the Honourable Datuk Idris and he launched the energy efficiency project with a big gong. The Danish ambassador was there and he praised the Malacca Green Energy Transformation. The Danish have helped them along the path. Now they have energy efficiency in three big government buildings and he talked, um, Mr Idris especially talked about the savings they had made at the Putra Specialist Hospital. They've made many millions of ringgits uh, of savings just because they brought their energy down and they can devote that now to medicine. But in the future they plan to have uh, emissions reductions in nine more government buildings and there's a pipeline of other buildings uh, ready to be made energy efficient. They hope to have uh, no fossil fuels by 2050. This green economy, green initiative, yeah, I would like to take this opportunity to express my gratitude to the Danish government through the ambassador uh, of Denmark here, Mr. Nikolai Roger, uh, for their utmost commitment and for their determination in making Malacca as their partner to realize all the green economy program, the green initiative. And for this purpose, we are going to transform the conventional way of utilizing electricity in nine old government buildings into energy efficient government building. So now uh, we have already embarked on three buildings, namely Sri Negri Lama, Number two is Malacca Central, and number three is Putra Specialist Center. We have visited the site, that's now Mulawa Tampa, and we found that from the presentation uh, tabled to us by the uh, Danny Energy Admission uh, Partners, that Putra has already saved about 100 to 150,000 ringgit a month when they start to introduce new way of utilizing power in Putra Special Center. So, can you imagine one building 
we can save 100 to 150,000 month and uh, multiply by nine buildings and definitely we're going to save more than one million ringgit a month. I'd like to add is uh, simply that we are from the, uh, the side of the Danish embassy and the Danish government really privileged to be part of Malaysia's green transformation journey which uh, which I think it's important to note what the chief manager has said about this is not a it's not only a matter about transforming the energy the way energy is is, uh, is generated and, and uh, consumed and utilized but it's also uh, it's not a technological uh, transformation alone it's also a change in mentality and, and perception it's a way that you, you go about uh, uh, managing your society but there are not that many states in Malaysia that have been able to uh, walk the talk to the extent that uh, Malacca has not only uh, shouldn't you mess with Malacca but <laughs> also a state that actually uh, walks the talk and, and take new steps and th these are sometimes controversial and there's opposition and, and but that's that's the kind of resistance you meet uh, when you take uh, political uh, initiatives and you try to uh, to uh, to carve out a vision uh, for the state uh, as in the case uh, of my name is Vivian Langford from Australia. I'm from Radio 3CR and we produce a program about climate action around the world communities and businesses that are doing this climate action and I am very happy to be in Malacca. It's a historic place and I've been going to the museums and I love seeing all the old buildings you've preserved and the river canal. You know, it's really you can hear, feel the layers of history that this was a hub of harmony, I think. Even five centuries ago, this place was a trading hub and people came here in a harmonious spirit, which is very nice to know that you are doing this now with climate change being such a danger to the whole world that people, especially the that triangle of Asian countries that are meeting here with the help of European, Danish knowledge and advanced technology, you know, maybe something is really happening here. I didn't know about it very much, but now I can see maybe this is very fruitful for the future. However, 2050 seems to me too far ahead. So what can you do more quickly? What is your real plan to get, you know, decarbonisation? Yeah. Uh, since uh, the recognition of Malacca as the developed state in the year 2010, and we found that the other engine for us to keep up our development uh, with other developed countries in the world is the green technology and the green economy. And we found that the real threat to the world is the global warming and the climate change. So we uh, adopt all the uh, developed city with the uh, developed city planning with the uh, green initiatives and the green economy programs. So we believe that uh, there will be a short term medium-term and a long-term outcome. And the short-term outcome will be like, as you can already enjoy the benefit, the river, the Malacca River. If you came to Malacca in the early 90s or late 90s, you will see that the river was, uh, the river was dirty, smelly, malodorous, and all living activities taking place by the river. You can see people doing all the dirty works, throwing all rubbish, all the sewers, all the sewers. The dirty thing will be flowing to the river. So the immediate charge was then uh, funded by the uh, federal government, where all the sewers, 
management now will be directed to one uh, one reservoir and no more coming into the river. So we sustain the river uh, from being uh, contaminated by all these discharges. Then uh, we uh, back up with another program to uh, continue rehabilitating the river, rehabilitating the river until you can see now the river has been turned from an ugly, uh, ugly place to one of the most visited places by our tourists. Uh, last year alone, we clocked more than 1.2 million tourists taking a river cruise. So we believe with this river as our short-term uh, deliverables, and we are coming in with the second phase development of uh, Blanca River, and this is the medium term. In the year 2020, you'll see that the second phase development of Blanca River uh, will be completed, and here you will see that uh, people will build premises around the river facing the river. Uh, we used to make the river as our backyard and now the policy of the local government has been changed from uh, making the river as their backyard, now the river has already constituted or has been statuted as the front yard of any building uh, to be built around it. So this is a law that has been uh, in place by the, the government of the day. And we have also a medium term plan where we call it the Hang Tua Malacca Commercial Center. We call it TM50 where the transformation Malacca 50 where everything will be completed. We hope by then Malacca will be also a fossil free, fossil free uh, state in Malaysia. So by then, you will see that all the development that taking place in will balance up the uh, rapid development taking place in the coastal area of Blanca. You know that the reclamation work is massively uh, implemented uh, along uh, 23 kilometer coastal line of Blanca, and we are, have already a big plan uh, to balance all this development. And this, this development will be taking places around the area. And I believe so, uh, the people of Raka by then will appreciate uh, the efforts, the serious efforts by the government, and they will be hand in hand working with us to realize the globe to be a better place to live in the future. And we are also organizing a lot of uh, green uh, programs to the school children, to the school children. So when you start talking about uh, keeping the world uh, cooler, the school children are now in a better position to, to, to tell us. And we also launched the No Plastic Day. We are among the first state in the country that embark on the No Plastic Day and we have to face all those uh, uh, encumbrances, objection and uh, pickets from the people. But we are lucky because we started about three years ago and now I know that our friend in Slango are also facing the background when they start to introduce the No Plastic Day yesterday. So we have done all this and hopefully uh, by the year 2020, Malacca people will be one of those group of people who uh, hate to see plastic. They don't like to see plastic hanging around Malacca. So thank you very much. Let's make it the largest walk yet. 
demanding permanent protection in Australia for asylum seekers found to be refugees, closure of detention centres and freedom for all refugees. Join the Palm Sunday Walk for Justice. Hear a human rights lawyer, a teacher, a refugee and a panel of interfaith speakers. Sunday the 9th of April at the State Library in Swanson Street at 2pm with our walk through the city finishing back at the State Library by 3.30. Organised by the Refugee Advocacy Network, a 3CR supporter. Our guest tonight is Mr. Sivarajan Amuragam. <laughs> Say your name, sorry. It's <laughs> Sivarajan Arumugam. Sorry, I'm really... We're in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia and I'm here to find out about climate action in this country. I'm also having a holiday and I'm very, really enjoying myself here. But I know there are serious problems um, and... Um, Siva is going to talk to us about them. So welcome to the radio show. This is all about climate action, and I know your work is more general, but could you tell me what you think the big climate challenges are for Malaysia? Um, okay, what we can say is that one thing about uh, Malaysia, and I think uh, in some third world countries, is that um, the issue of climate action has not been uh, sufficiently taken up by most of the civil society and even uh, environmental NGOs. Uh, probably they already always looked at it as, a, as an issue for the first world countries. So being a developing nation, I think that uh, uh, the thinking is that uh, basically Malaysia couldn't be sort of contributing to the carbon footprint, you know, we are a developing nation, so we cannot pull back, and it should be the responsibility of the developed nations, US, Japan, and so on, to cut, cut back. So in that sense, I think the issue, taking up climate action, uh, unfortunately, uh, what I can see in Malaysia, has not been sort of uh, really uh, established that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, most groups, they are fighting individual issues. Uh, either they are saving the forests, or it's, and, or it's fighting for, um, for, the, for the government not to build a nuclear plant, mm-hmm. probably saving of rivers. But there's no a consolidated effort to bring all of these issues together mm-hmm. and fight it on the basis of what are the commitments of Malaysia in COP21, is Malaysia doing enough, you know, so on that particular level, I think there's not much of a really grassroots involvement in fighting this as a mass action mm-hmm. issue. There are some in, uh, uh, NGOs which are sort of bringing it up uh, when they go for the parallel meetings in COP21 and all that. So on that particular level, I believe there are some organizations doing it. But the issue has not sort of filtered down to the mass organizations where they find where they take it as climate action as one of those key issues mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, to be fought by the grassroots itself. I think that is what we, ha- we don't have in Malaysia. Yes. Well, one of the issues that listeners will remember was in 2015, just as all the world leaders were gathering in Paris for the um, conference about climate change, there was a massive fire uh, in the peatlands of Indonesia, uncontrollable I think it was, and it caused emissions equal to the United States for several days. And uh, and it was affecting people in, uh, here in Malaysia, wasn't it? wasn't it? And in Singapore. Can you tell us about that ongoing situation? Is that um, open to a regional solution? Are people working on a solution for that? Because that's a massive cause of emissions. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the first time I would recall that uh, we had the problem, or here we, we call it more of the haze problem, all right, due to the peat fires from Indonesia, Kalimantan, and so on, was back in 1996-97. And that was also a time when the economic crisis happened. So that's when the first incidents when you find uh, there's a huge uh, effect in Singapore and in Indonesia and even in Malaysia. Um, so at that particular time, um, basically the first thing that happened was finger point pointing. Uh, basically everyone is pointing fingers among themselves that it's saying that it is not the Malaysian problem, it's an Indonesian problem and so on. Mm. And um, so, but substantially uh, at that time, I think nothing much was done because everyone was trying to get away. But all of us also knew that uh, there's a lot of companies, big corporations from Malaysia, these are plantation companies like Sam Dabi and all that. They are clearing forests in Kalimantan, Sumatra, and even in uh, the other parts of uh, uh, Indonesia. And uh, they have been also a cause for this. Uh, but ob obviously they were denying it. Um, so the Malaysian companies mm. um, operating in, yes. in Indonesia, yeah. right? Because the, the easiest way to clear the forest is just you know, slash and burn. So they were also contributing to this factor. But uh, there were some um, class actions. People were trying to file suits and so on. But I don't think it went very far. Uh, but recently I think there has been some, uh, because of continuous pressure that we had also from uh, a lot of other individuals and movements in Malaysia, because it became an annual event since yeah. 1996. Every year, if it's November and December, we were quite sure that we will have this haze problem. Mm. And that affected our daily lives where many schools will have to be closed. Um, I mean, there was uh, we have to wear face masks, you know, our movement, the elderly uh, people. And worse still, also, even uh, the workers were working outside. Because even though they closed schools and they sort of uh, uh, discouraged outdoor activities, but no one really mentioned on yeah. what is going to happen to the workers yes. because the economy and of course the, the investors they want the construction to carry on yeah. so they just kept quiet about that and the workers were really exposed to this yeah. um, so I think throughout this thing when it became really an annual event and there was a lot of growth frustrated I think now there are some serious attempts being made and that is why uh, quite interestingly since last year I think I could say that it would be the first year where we did not really have a significant haze mm -hmm. problem not as bad as the previous years yeah. Um, so I think things are, are being done. Yeah. Probably Jokowi in Indonesia is doing some attempts on this issue. Yes. Um, yeah, so this is what I can gather. That's good, because I think a lot of people don't really get climate change. It seems something in the future and bigger than they can really take on. But they can understand air pollution. Uh, you know, in Australia, we understand about bushfires and drought. And here, I think the air pollution is the most immediate reason. Um, uh, so you think a regional solution is happening, so maybe they're cutting back. I know it's illegal in Indonesia, but it's only a matter of you have to apply the law there. Mm -hmm. I think it's in both ways. This is while the, the source of the haze and the peat fires are being taken care of, but uh, unfortunately, the, the forest deforestation which is happening in Malaysia itself is quite alarming. Yes. Whereby, there's, even though Malaysia has made some commitment in the international arena in COP21, mm -hmm. they want to preserve 55% of the forest and so on, mm -hmm. but we really don't see it being implemented uh, in, 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 in Malaysia itself. Individual states, they are sort of racing among themselves to be a more developed state. Yes. 
and there's I think there's really no control on how much uh, forest they are destroying and there is no central uh, uh, body even though we have an environment ministry but I doubt there's some kind of central enforcement to really monitor and to see the, how much these states are uh, doing deforestation so that really affects because on one hand that even though the source is being taken care of but on the other hand with this deforestation is happening um, that sort of like uh, creates more other environmental problems and yeah. uh, you, the the small pollutants in the air carbon dioxide and so on so that is one area that I think they have to really to do some work. That's right. Well, this is an international problem. I interviewed someone from the Amazon, mm. Ecuadorian part of Amazon, and she said that really the best hope is with Indigenous people there. Mm. They feel that they have to make it worth those people's while to pay them to manage the forest and keep it intact. Maybe you can have rubber tapping or mixed use, but you can't just clear the forest and have cattle ranches like they have that mm. in the Amazon. So is that the same here? your feeling you know from I think you're with the Socialist Party do, do you feel that empowering those mm. indigenous people who already live there and already use the forest that paying them to manage it is the best option Right. I think the role of the our Aboriginal and Indigenous communities are give, uh, getting more and more significant because those days, back in the 70s and 80s, they were the guardians of the forest. They prevented uh, poaching, they prevented illegal logging. Mm. And during those times where um, where we can say that maybe uh, the mainstream development have not reached them yet, they really maintain their own lifestyles. Mm. And um, illegal loggers would be really afraid to go into those forests because they can be shot down. And <laughs> there was a case in 1993 where these things really happened, you know. Yeah, the matter went to court and the, 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 the illegal loggers were caught on uh, customary land, native customary land. Uh, three of them were sort of like, uh, what you would call it, <laughs> they'd have these long pipes, oh. long pipes where yes. you can really shoot them and so they killed the three loggers. <laughs> Alright, so so those were the, we can say that um, uh, they were the guardians of the forest. Alright, but now what is happening is that uh, there's completely a disregard for native customary land. Uh, as uh, as the economy is growing, as the capitalists are more investing and more deforestation is happening, the government is sort of uh, really not gazetting any more lands for the natives. Especially in one particular state where we are having a lot of problems now. This is in the state of Klantan. Uh, this state is sort of like uh, yeah, because it has no other revenue in terms of the run its economy. Explain to the listeners where Klantan is okay, on Klantan. the map of Malaysia. We're looking at the oh. peninsula. Where is it? Uh, Klantan would be in the northern uh, east East Malaysia in the northern yeah. is one of the northern states. It's a clan. Uh, currently, this state is being sort of ruled by the opposition. It's an Islamic party, mm. but unfortunately, uh, due to that, it does not have uh, revenues from oil and so on. So it has resorted to sort of giving huge concessions to illegal loggers, to loggers in fact, and they have encroached massively into a lot of native customary land and also the forest reserves themselves. Mm. And uh, so we are getting a lot of issues there. Recently, a couple of months back there was a big blockade by the indigenous people. We were involved in those blockades. People were arrested and we were fighting those issues. And uh, currently more issues are happening actually. There's more issues happening in Cameron Highlands. Similar situation where it's not illegal logging but land given out for farming. 
huge corporate farming oh. and that is also encroaching and uh, uh, cutting down of forests and encroaching on the, the natives mm. land well we have this in Australia to the idea that you sequester the carbon you know for climate change I think still climate change is something for the late 21st century for people's understanding that it would be one way to pay farmers to sequester the carbon you you get some money for that you're a carbon farmer um, I don't think that concept has come across in Australia do you think anybody has that idea yet here uh, not really. Like I said, uh, as the indigenous people are suffering, but um, the, the bigger problem will be the bigger companies, the, the corporation companies which are doing uh, big level farming. But of course, the smaller farmers, which are mainly they were doing some kind of sustainable farming, they are also in uh, having a problem now where they are also being chased out and evacuated from their lands because of similar situations where you have bigger corporations coming up, taking over the land, grabbing the lands and so on. Mm. So whatever sustainable farming which was there now it's also being affected if you're going to Cameron Highlands uh, soon then you'll be also able to see these issues yes yeah. all right we're going to interview someone there as well um, well look I think I think we've covered really a, um, a lot of those issues forestry what about the the last one is your source of power is it from oil here you have the two Petronas towers there is a great monument most beautiful buildings but it's a monument to oil. Is, is there any transition happening here away from fossil fuels in uh, Malaysia? Uh, transition from fossil fuels, uh, like I said, is most of these actions and commitments by the government, it has been only uh, relevant on paper. But uh, on naturally, we don't see them really moving away substantially. Um, even though I think there was some report that was saying that they still want to increase their dependence on the, uh, coal mm -hmm. to produce electricity. So there's no really cutbacks on that. And what is really not uh, uh, happening is the renewable energy part, whereby it is very much still controlled by quota because this is I think they are sort of bowing down to the lobbies of the oil companies and also the power companies whereby in fact there's a lot of initiatives from the normal people to really do polar uh, do to solar and to do uh, renewable energy but this is all controlled by quota that means in a year they have specific amount of projects they can allow mm -hmm. and only this amount is uh, they can start off renewable energy so mm -hmm. we find that that is there's a way that you are sort of controlling and regulating this whole mm -hmm. thing when it should be encouraged and that is not really happening okay. so in fact Malaysia is also one of the highest producers for solar panels but uh, ironically locally we don't see a lot of it installed because of this quota system is being controlled by the government authority and they sort of like uh, uh, not really in a way like really opening up and really encouraging people to do this mm -hmm. and even the feeding system feeding tariff system is not really established mm -hmm. and uh, only of several companies are really doing this but we don't really find it really being encouraged and if they really do open it up I think a lot of people will take up these projects at yes. a lower cost yeah. okay well, we're going to find out more as, as we travel around the country. But thank you very much. I'd just like to just to finish with you telling me a little bit about your motivation. How did you get into this sort of political sort of work and action work? You know, you could just work in a bank. What, what got you into this? 
I think um, my involvement started off, I can say, about 25 years ago. This was back in campus uh, when we studied. Um, the campus where we, we studied was, uh, it was surrounded by a lot of plantations. And this plantation where you'll find there's workers living in deplorable conditions, low wages and so on. Mm -hmm. So while we were students, we used to go to these plantations and do some work. Mm -hmm. So I think that was basically the start of the motivation when we start to question what is wrong with the system, why is there poverty, you know. Mm -hmm. And we talk about the wages, the mm -hmm. class struggle. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think it's from there that we sort of develop and until where we are today, uh, yes. we're doing some work with the Socialist Party. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've described some things that are going downhill, like for the Indigenous people, but I'm just amazed at the newness and youngness, really, of this city. It all seems to have grown up very quickly mm. and um, it's development everywhere, massive and perhaps rather uncontrollable or hard to control. How do you see it going? Where do you see things going? It's certainly not stagnant. Uh, the development, like I say, is that um, I, I find that uh, there's not much enough effort being put into really sustainable development. Uh, like I say, that um, in order to sort of uh, advance economically, I think the government is on the path that it sort of goes on the path of race to the bottom, where there's more and more development in a hope to sort of uh, bring in more of uh, foreign direct investments and so on. Yes. And there's really not enough uh, regard for sustainable development. And that is going on the wrong path. As you can see in Kuala Lumpur, itself there's so much of development yeah. and uh, a lot of uh, our waterways are getting polluted we have less and less greenery coming off a lot of our heritage areas are being taken off so this is a constant struggle it's a constant challenge yes. and if it continues in this way uh, it is going to be a brick for us and that will have serious implications on all of us okay. thank you very much so that was um, Mr. Siva Am Amuragan uh, from the Socialist Party in Kuala Lumpur yes Welcome back to the Beyond Zero Emissions Community Show on 3CR. You've heard the second half of Vivian Langford's Malaysian special. The program began with Vivian speaking to Sarash Kumar, who she best describes as a forest activist. We then heard a recording from a press conference from Datak Adras in Malacca. And finally, Vivian interviewed Servi Aram Ogam about climate, ch climate challenges for Malaysia. Thank you for joining us. I'm Andy and you've been listening to Beyond Zero Emissions Community Show on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. Beyond Zero Emissions is a not-for-profit research and education organisation. We design blueprints for a zero emissions economy. As climate change action becomes an emergency, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate-changing emissions to a zero emissions 21st century. Check out our website for reports on zero emissions energy, zero emissions exports and industry, zero emissions transport, zero emissions buildings and zero emissions land use. Podcasts of our shows contain a who's who of community action and climate solutions. They're all available on the web at bze.org.au. We'd love your ideas for this show, so contact us at radioteam at bze.org.au or even write to us, care of Radio 3CR, 21 Smith Street, 
Fitzroy, Victoria. You can make that attention BZE Radio.